0: This morning, we're going to read the scripture here. We're going to do it kind of in a unique way uh, because of the nature of the text. There's three audiences or three churches. uh, And so we'll start uh, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 8. Is that right? Yeah. Starting with verse 8. All right. Okay.
1: To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death." to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain faithful, remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you, To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it.
0: To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
2: Good morning, VRVC, in person, online. uh, Welcome to week two of To the Church, our series on these letters in Revelation chapter two and three, thank you to our three readers. Revelation one, three actually says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. And so this morning, uh, we ask for God's blessing on the reading of his word, and on the internalization of his word. Um, You know, we have such a a unique resource in Revelation two and three. Uh, The risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, is moving among the lampstands of these churches, and he is sending unique messages, and yet at the same time, timeless messages for us. And if you uh, listen to uh, Pastor John's sermon last week, uh, you, you heard that this risen Jesus is unlike anybody you've ever seen. He's dressed legally. His hair is white as snow. His eyes burn when they look at you. His feet are solid bronze. His voice sounds like a mighty ocean. And the Apostle John is taking all this in. He's hearing what Jesus is dictating. He's seeing what Jesus is revealing. And he knows that he has a job to do. And so when we decided to do seven letters of Revelation in four weeks, we knew we had a math problem. And uh, and so it just so happens that I kind of feel like these three letters go together in a way, and so we want to talk about all three because I think all three talk about the same subject matter, and that is holiness. And so before we jump in to the three letters, let's just ask this question, what is holiness? What is holiness? I'm gonna guess that if you've, if you've been a part of church for a while, you know this is an important word. Um, you know that God is holy. You know that Jesus is sinless, he's completely holy. You're gonna guess that the Holy Spirit is holy because it's uh, his first name. Uh, so, but, but yet, often when this word holy gets thrown around, um, It it leaves us feeling a little conflicted, doesn't it? Like, for example, maybe you've heard of a certain church characterized as, well, there's a group of holy rollers, and you're not sure, is that a compliment, uh, or is that a put-down? And then if you've ever heard somebody described as, you know, they're one of those holier-than-thou types, you know that's not a compliment, I mean, when, when somebody's described as holier than thou, it, it, it's kind of like they, they wear their piety embroidered on their starched shirts and, uh, and they're full of condemnation and scorn and they spend a lot of time burnishing their spiritual resumes and, and letting you know how highly they think of their own spirituality. Is that what it means to be holy? No. <laughs> no, it's not. So what is holiness? Well, when the Bible speaks of holiness, It speaks first of God. God is completely holy. God is utterly different from sinful humanity. God is majestic. God is set apart. God is pure. God is good. And so ironically, for you and me to aspire to holiness, the very first step is to to recognize what we're not. We're, We're not God. We're so different from God. And, and we, if we want to aspire to holiness, the very first thing we, we must do is to pray that Jesus Christ, through his grace, through his death on the cross, would wash us clean, that Jesus would make us holy. But then secondly, to aspire to holiness is to basically ask that God's goodness would rub off on us, that God's goodness would be more apparent in our personal lives and And in our church, because as long as we're on this earth, we're we're still going to sin. We're still gonna fall so far short of God's standards of holiness. And so we need cleansing and we need the Holy Spirit. You know, regardless of the baggage that you may have around that word, holy or or holiness, I believe that true holiness is a beautiful thing. I bet likely most of us have known people who radiate holiness. And if you've met someone like that, chances are you want more and more of what they have. You want their peace. You, you want their strength. You want their level of commitment. You want their kindness and gentleness. And that's why these three letters we're going to look at today can be so helpful because I think each letter points to a different aspect of what holiness looks like in your life and my life. So VRBC, what does it mean for us to be holy? Well, when we we begin with that first letter that was read to the church at Smyrna, I think we would have to say by way of summary that holiness is hanging on when you wanna let go. Holiness is hanging on to Jesus and his calling on your life when everything about you wants to Let go of the rope. One of the things I find oddly comforting about these seven churches and the letters written to them is that each church faced their own challenge. Eugene Peterson says that that these churches are less like pristine Victorian museums and they're more like messy family rooms where real life happens. And so we need Jesus to come in and to clean up real life messes in these seven churches and in, in our church as well. And so Jesus dictates to the Apostle John these letters and as our Apostle John, uh, John Hewlett mentioned last week, you're not our Apostle John, no, no, okay. <laughs> Brother John, Pastor John, okay, okay. Um, sorry about that. Where was I? So as, as John mentioned last week, each of these letters kind of follow a pretty similar pattern. And so there's a a greeting by Jesus, there's some aspect of Jesus' character that he reveals. He often praises some aspect of the church. He often criticizes some aspect of the church. Usually he closes with some kind of encouragement, some kind of exhortation. He tells the church to listen to the Holy Spirit, and he gives a promise for those who stay true. So with that in mind, let's look at this letter to Smyrna. Smyrna is one of two letters where Jesus has nothing substantively negative to say to the church. Isn't that amazing? What a dream. And I think it's because Smyrna had very strong fingernails. What do I mean by that? Well, well Smyrna had learned to hang on to Jesus for dear life. When you think about this, this uh, church, uh, all seven of these churches in um, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, they fall along the same postal route. Well, Smyrna was was a beautiful harbor city. In fact, people called it the crown of Asia. It was situated in Asia, but in many ways, it looked uh, west to Rome for its sense of identity and loyalty. The Christians who lived in Smyrna, they lived in a a beautiful place. Uh, They lived amidst physical beauty, but they also lived in hostility. Their neighbors were hostile. And unfortunately, both their Jewish neighbors and their pagan Roman neighbors hated them and persecuted them. Sometimes the persecution was economic. It was hard to make a living because they were Christian. Sometimes it was physical. Uh, There was the threat of political intimidation. There was the threat of imprisonment. And in verse 10, uh, Jesus asked John to write something that I think is so suggestive uh, to these Christians in Smyrna. Uh, Look at verse 10. Jesus says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and note this, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. If you love numbers, you're gonna love the book of Revelation. Uh, The the Revelation uh, plays around a lot with numbers, and, and so... And so isn't it interesting that the Smyrna church is said that they're gonna suffer persecution for 10 days. Are those 10 literal days, a week and a half? I don't think so. I, I think 10 days is a code. Maybe some of you remember back in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends were exiled to Babylon and uh, they were kind of marked out for a, uh, a kind of leadership journey. They, they were seen to be uh, identified as young men of great promise. And so they had their own chef who was cooking them the best Babylonian cuisine. And Daniel felt like that food was unclean. It wasn't helpful for them spiritually or physically. And so he goes to the chef and he says, I want you to do a test with us. Let's just try this out. Let us eat our food for 10 days. And then at the end of 10 days, see if you can tell a difference between us and the Babylonians. 10 days. It's a test. Whether it's 10 days in the Bible, whether it's 10 plagues, whether it's 10 commandments, the number 10 symbolizes endurance and obedience in the face of trials. Church, When you and I are tested for 10 days, that's our opportunity to show, to reveal that we have a different diet, that we feed on the body and blood of Jesus. We we feed on the bread of life. We drink the cup of salvation. And this diet, this presence of Christ in our life strengthens us. And it helps us to hang on to the commitments we make when we'd rather let go. I think that's a a key part of holiness. Holiness is hanging on to Jesus, trusting Jesus through painful days of suffering. And often we don't know if it's day nine or if it's day two. We're not sure how long the pain is gonna last. But we say to Jesus, I'm hanging on to you. Holiness has an aspect of endurance. I thought it was interesting when Uh, When Ethan was asked how we can pray uh, for, for them, he said endurance was one of the things that we could pray. Maybe some of you have heard me tell about the first time I learned to water ski. I was 19, working at a church in Three Rivers, Texas. I had a good friend at the church. His name was Larry, too. Used to be a popular name, Larry. And, uh, and uh, he, uh, uh, he worked at a refinery, and his pockets were just full of cash. And he, had, he bought all these toys, including a boat. Uh, and he wanted to teach me to water ski. And so he took me out on the river And uh, first three or four times, you know, I would try to stand up in the water while I was still submerged and I couldn't hold on to the stick and and it would just kind of, you know, bounce along the water. I think it was maybe the fourth time and I actually was doing what he he had told me to do the previous three, which was just to kind of sit back and and, and let the boat pull me up, don't try to stand up. And I was actually doing that and I was starting to kind of come up out of the water and I noticed maybe 15 or 20 yards ahead of me a water moccasin was just going across the river. And at that point, I made a spiritual commitment. Uh, I said, Lord, I'm gonna hang on to this stick no matter what happens. And if my body has to drag me for 50 yards, I am not gonna let go. And I, I killed a water moccasin that day with my skis, you know. I'm gonna hang on. Holiness says, I'm going to hang on to you, Lord. I, I don't know about you. I've never experienced anything close to what the church at Smyrna was going through. But when I was baptized, I said the same thing they said. I said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Lord, give me the strength to stay true to the commitment that I made. Lord, help me hang on to you, if even by my fingernails. Because you are our Lord, you are our Savior. Holiness says we're going to hang on through the hard days. We're going to hang on. There's a second aspect of holiness. uh, This to the church at Pergamum. And that is holiness is staying true when evil distracts us from God's truth. Holiness stays true. Holiness holds on to the truth that God has revealed. You know, the the church at Pergamum had a reputation, or at least the city of Pergamum had a reputation for great learning. It had a reputation for academic excellence. It was known for its huge library, uh, the city was, as well as shrines to the god Zeus and the Roman god of healing, Asclepius. That church at Pergamum had experienced the truth of the gospel, But unfortunately, the truth of the gospel was opposed with satanic fury. In fact, there was a a member of that church. His name was Antipas. We believe that he was likely a physician or a dentist. And he stayed true to the the true God of healing, Jesus Christ. And the followers of the Roman God of healing, Asclepius, had him killed. There was a price to pay for speaking the truth about Jesus But guess what, it wasn't just the the falsehoods in the culture outside the church. Actually inside the church, there was an influencer inside the church that Jesus called by the code name of Balaam. And, And falsehood is coming into the church from inside the church. And so look at verse 14. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you, Jesus says, there are some among you, some in the church who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. If you've, if you've never read Balaam's story, it's in the book of Numbers, you start around chapter 22. It is a doozy. Uh, when the Israelites were making their way uh, through the wilderness, uh, the, the country of Moab was threatened, the king of Moab. Balak tried to hire a guy named Balaam to curse Israel, but that didn't work out so well because of God's power and Balaam's donkey, believe it or not. But, but Balaam wasn't done trying to get the Israelites offside. And he later advised the king of Moab, you know what? If you, if you want to weaken Israel, seduce the men. If you want to weaken Israel, seduce the Israelite men because sexual adultery and spiritual adultery are closely linked. So often, sexual temptation shipwrecks the ship of faith. Here's the, the sad truth, church. When the devil wants to attack our holiness, the devil often begins with what we hold to be true. It's not only persecution and blunt force from outside the church it's also subtle temptation inside the church people close to us because if we drift from the scriptures we will drift from holiness we all know we live in a in an era where influential voices outside the church have completely adopted unscriptural viewpoints I mean, we almost expect that to happen right but, but unfortunately. Sometimes, not unlike Pergamum, we also live in a day where Christians hold the Bible loosely. Maybe they try to baptize sexual teachings that are far from the ideal of the Bible. Or maybe they just ignore plain old biblical morality, (laughs) 10 Commandment kind of stuff. Fruit of the Spirit, truth, kindness, respect, self-control. Hatred will be spewed, and then a little Bible verse at the bottom. As if that makes everything okay. A a veering away from the truth of Scripture. And it's it's a challenge for everybody who aspires to holiness. Because you can't be holy if you drift away from God's holy word. You know, when I go to the grocery store, and if I've got more than three items to purchase... There's a special kind of cart I always look for. Uh, it's a—it's—it's it's, it's not a handheld basket, and it's not one of those eighteen-wheeler carts either. Um, you maybe you know the ones I'm looking—I'm I'm always looking for. It's kind of like the Mini Cooper of of grocery carts. That right there—that's my—that's my favorite. Very easy to maneuver, but I can still put my Topo Chico down right there, and I don't have to carry it in a basket. Now I always look for these, but usually you have them, and, uh, and I, I, it's very frustrating that you would be so selfish, and, uh, and so, but I remember one day, I, I actually saw one, it was the last one, it was just all by itself, and I was like, Lord, thank you, and, uh, and, and I grabbed it, but I realized why it was all by itself, because this particular cart had an alignment issue. It just kept wanting to go to the right, and, uh, and, and I, I battled that cart, because I wasn't gonna give it up. I battled that cart, you know, for 15 minutes. Just, I, I, I couldn't let up. I knew that if I let up at all, I was gonna take out a whole row of lucky charms, you know? And so I had to keep, keep aligning it. Sometimes I think, maybe it's a little discouraging, but that's what the, the, the Christian life is like. There's, there's always an alignment issue. There's always some force inside or outside that is causing us to want to veer away from the the narrow path, the, the straight road that God is leading us on. And Jesus calls Pergamum, and Jesus calls us to holiness. And holiness says, I'm going to trust the truth of Scripture, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it's easy or not, whether it's popular or not. Holiness Hanging on, enduring. Holiness, staying true to what God teaches. And then I think when we look at that third church, the church at Thyatira, we'd say that holiness is moving forward down the path where Christ leads. Not only holding on to faithfulness, not only staying staying true to God's word, but holiness is making progress in the life of faith. I think that's what we learn when we travel to Thyatira. Thyatira was, was a commercial center. I think of it like a, a huge kind of farmer's market and arts festival with booths everywhere. All kind of different craftsmen uh, and women, guilds of artists who specialized. Maybe it was in uh, metalworking. Maybe it was in fabric. But unfortunately, all of these different booths, all of these different artistic guilds, they had their own patron deities And so their literal work in the arts was laced with idolatry. Now imagine you're a faithful member of the church at Thyatira, and you're just trying to go to work and do your job, but yet there's this expectation that you'll participate in idolatrous feasts and often the sexual shenanigans that go with them. Being a Christian in Thyatira was very difficult. In fact, there was likely a woman in that church Jesus gave her the code name of Jezebel. And she was teaching that Christians could have the best of both worlds. That you could have Jesus and immorality just mixed together and stir. Everything's great. The Old Testament prophets, though, had a word for this, and they called it backsliding. A backslider is someone who maybe was moving toward God, but now they're moving in the opposite direction. Makes me think of that old... Uh, Paul Simon's song, slip sliding away. A backslider slip slides away from the path of forward progress that God leads us on. And in this letter, Jesus has strong words, not just for the prophetess Jezebel, but for all her little Jezebelites. And it's about backsliding. If if backsliding is leaving the trail that God lays out, if, if backsliding is going backwards, holiness is moving forward. And in verse 19, Jesus actually praises many in the church who are actually making forward progress. He says, I know your deeds. And and, and look at what he singles out here. Your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. And then, get this, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to say that to you? Now we know that from our own lives, don't we, that, that holiness is not this straight up and to the right. We know that we have days that are more down than up, where, where yesterday looked better than today in terms of our faithfulness to God. We know that we have weeks like that. We know that sometimes we even have seasons where we get distracted from what God has for us. But I think holiness is a mindset of moving forward. More love for God, more love for God's people, more trust in God's promises and God's presence, more service of the needy, more perseverance through hardship, more today than yesterday. Holiness, hanging on, staying true, moving forward. I wonder how that strikes you today. It's okay to be honest with God about this, and even honest with your closest companions in the faith. How are you doing on these three aspects of of holiness? Maybe some of you, you don't know what day it is, but you're in that 10 days of suffering, and you feel like giving up, you feel like letting go. The pain of staying faithful feels like too much. Maybe some of you are recognizing how the world's pretty lies have been leading you off the path. Maybe some of you are realizing that there are voices in your life, loud voices, that are taking the place of the voice of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through Scripture. Maybe some of you can feel yourself slip sliding backwards. Like the children of Israel in the desert, you're drifting backward toward the comfort of slavery to sin rather than moving forward toward the promise. Land of Christ's calling, holiness. You know, one of the things I was not experiencing when I stepped into my role uh, as senior pastor a lifetime ago was that I was gonna have to have really hard conversations with people because I used to just send them to my senior pastor when I was a junior pastor. And, uh, and now I, I was gonna be in those conversations. And sometimes those conversations did not go well. And I am sure that I played my own part uh, in the dysfunction. But I can remember some of those conversations where I felt I was being misrepresented by others. I can remember conversations where I felt very bruised by what others had said. And I remember um, one day, I used to go to this old Starbucks. It's right near where the, the McDonald's is now. It's the only reason I came to the church. Uh, and then they closed, and I'm joking, I'm joking. But I remember I was sitting in this old Starbucks, and uh, and, and I used to to call it the pastor's study, and um, where's Larry? Oh, he's in the pastor's study. Uh, And and I'd had a really hard week, and I was just reading the Psalms, and I don't think up to that point in my spiritual development, I'd spent a whole lot of time in the Psalms, and I, I read a Psalm where David had been bruised, and David was crying out, Vindicate me, O oh Lord. David talks a lot about words that are said about us that may not be true and how those words hurt. And David was saying, God, I, I'm depending on you to vindicate me. And I had never really thought about those words before. How sometimes we need God to fight for us when we feel like we are losing. And I remember thinking, you know what? God, in the midst of these hard times, God is showing me something new about his word. I remember thinking to myself, this feels like progress. (laughs) In the midst of the pain, God is showing me a little glimpse of what it means to follow him more faithfully. God is showing me a way to experience more of him than I did at first. To understand more, to appreciate him more, to depend on him more. God was showing me his kindness in a rough season. Friends, if you are feeling intimidated by the call to holiness... I want to assure you, holiness has its rewards and I want to assure you that holiness is not something we manufacture. Harold Sankbell, the the pastor and theologian says, if you've got any holiness, it's borrowed. (laughs) It is borrowed from God. And the good news of these three letters is that Jesus loans holiness to us freely. In all three of the churches, Maybe you heard it as the scripture was read a moment ago. In all three of the churches, the Jesus who speaks is alive. He's moving. He's the fulfillment of all our hopes for holiness. He empowers us. Did you, did you catch it? The church in Smyrna, the one facing persecution and fear. What did Jesus say to that church in verse 8? He said, these are the words of him who's the, who is the first and the last. Who died and came to life again. He said to that church in Smyrna, if you're fearing death, guess what? I have conquered death. And I'm with you. What about that church at Pergamum? The one seduced by the lies of culture. In verse 12, Jesus says to them, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. The, the, the double-edged sword in scripture is an image for the truth. The truth that cuts through falsehood. Jesus is the author of truth. And then to that church in Thyatira, the one that was struggling with the temptation to backslide toward impurity and falseness. Jesus is the wise one who sees all. And Jesus is the one who redeems us, who melts away the impurities. Verse 18 says, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Our holiness is borrowed from Jesus holy one, the living one the truthful one, the purifying one we look to him for holiness I've always loved this true story that Carl Menninger tells in one of his books about a time when President Thomas Jefferson was riding horseback across country he had a group of friends with him, they approached a swollen river, they were about to cross and they saw a man standing there as if at a bus stop and he was waiting for somebody to kind of uh, ferry him across the river. And he walks straight up to President Jefferson of all this group, and he asks uh, Jefferson for a ride, and Jefferson promptly kind of puts him on his horse and takes him across. And when they had dismounted on the other side of the river, one of Jefferson's companions went up to the man, and he says, "Of all of us, why did you choose the President to ferry you across?" And the guy said, the president? I didn't know he was the president. He said, all I knew was that I looked at all your faces and you had no written on them. But his was a yes face. Church, in your pursuit of holiness, look to Jesus. Because his face is a yes face. Say yes to the one who says yes to you. Let him strengthen you with resurrection power. Let him fortify you with the sword of truth. Let him melt off your sin and refine you like gold. Say yes to holiness. Say yes to the holy one who says yes to you. Let's pray. Lord, We confess to you that so often our thoughts and words, our deeds and things we fail to do, reek of unholiness. And we we simply confess that. We ask, Lord, for your mercy to wash us clean, head to toe. We ask for your mercy to cleanse us and to purify us. But Lord, we ask for something else. We aspire to holiness. We wanna be a holy people. We know that that only happens through your grace and to the presence of your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, now we open our lives to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us, to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to what the Spirit is saying to Valley Ranch Baptist Church in this moment. As we pray in the name of our Holy One, Jesus Christ, amen.